0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Talking Dean podcast. I'm your host, Majid, and I have with me the usual suspect Brother rash. And we have a special guest today, Brother Nazid. Assalamu alaikum, brothers. How are you doing? assalam wa rahmatullahi wa A big welcome to the show. And uh, I know Ramadan is, is finished and everyone's uh, on a bit of a low. But uh, how's things with you guys?
1: Yeah, alhamdulillah. I think I don't think there was that opportunity for a low with everything that's going on. So but yeah, certainly there's that element of, you know, I've I've not been able to get to the mosque as much as I did before, and that's probably a detriment to myself more than anybody else. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I, I usually reserve the last ten days off. So it makes a big difference to me to have that time off during the last 10 days. Mm. And you can kind of immerse yourself more in your ibadah when you know you don't have work pending and things like this. I know for other people, maybe they can't take that time off. But Alhamdulillah, it was nice. Uh, and obviously, when Ramadan depart- departs, then you're mournful for it. You know, There's no guarantee that you may see another one you know so, so it's that re- reality that kind of dawns upon you once it departs you know this is why perhaps you see so much of an effort and and mobilization amongst the, the Muslims and the Ummah for to do as much as they can while they're in the month of Ramadan you know. something that you realize as you get older perhaps than when you're young you know uh, that detail doesn't you know dwell on your mind so much as when you get older and you realize with things happening in the world, with things happening around COVID, as we've seen people just uh, a little bit more uh, aware mm-hmm. of the fact that, you know, there's no guarantees when it comes to yeah. your idea that you will live to see 60 and 80 and 90 or 100. You
1: know, uh, well, the thing is, Nazir. Then earlier on, when we started doing these podcasts, like over a year ago now, that we recorded them all in person. So we all got together. You know, it was n- usually local brothers, so we got together and we recorded them. Um, I think the positive of COVID has been that we carried on in COVID recording them like this over Zoom. But that's given us the opportunity, for example, to get yourself on who's not that local to us, um, and then to get your thoughts really, which I think will be will be of benefit to everyone.
0: Yeah, exactly, man. And in regards to, uh, what, but saying about the last 10 days in in the past, I used to book the last 10 days off as well, uh, or actually the, the day after the odd night, um, this year I couldn't do that because I've just sort of joined a company quite recently. Yeah. Um, but you, you do, you do feel like, uh, I mean, I, I was actually thinking is next year, my, my idle scenario. I think, if everyone's ideal scenario would be not to work in the whole of Ramadan. Ramadan, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. just uh, you got to do what you got to do, hasn't it?
2: You got to do what you got to do. I, I mean, having being able to take that time off, which is a luxury for, for, for the people who can, and you know, for the people who can't, it just means they, they, they have to find other ways of maximizing, mm. you know, whilst working. This is the reality for most people in the world, they can't just take time off. You know, we're, what we what we can't forget is we're amongst a, a minority, you know, being able to work, being able to provide, being able to take holiday from work. I mean, this mm. is a, a, an alien concept for the most of majority of the world's population. You know, they it's can't take enough. time off. They have to work every day. You know, they got to wake up with the knowledge that if they don't work, there's going to be nothing on the plate for the yeah. family. Um, so, so you know it's all about perspective isn't it um, you sometimes think within the within the boundaries of your reality uh, and Ooh. it's not a reality shared by everyone <laughs> you know i'm safe in my home um, if i'm if i'm made redundant then then there's some compensation mm-hmm. you know it, there's no safety net for the large majority of people large majority muslim non-muslim in the world that you know trying to to get by today
0: that's so true you know i I, I I never thought
1: of it too much like that and it's probably one of the little reasons you know i mentioned it on one of the previous podcasts you know at the beginning of ramadan people send out these ramadan planners and you know lots of pages of what to do what there was to learn you know really structured and alhamdulillah they're really good but i think sometimes what they do they add that level of pressure of you know i've got to now do Ten times, a hundred times yeah. more than what I normally do, which is yeah. fine. Maybe for us, where we can, if you can take thirty days off or ten days off, then yeah. it's possible. Yeah. But you're right. That's a really good point because those people who, you know, are hand to mouth, and those people who are working in such a way that one day off means no money that day, then for them, those things just certainly don't have a reality.
2: You know, you know, Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed us with a a more secure kind of reality um where you know our income and and what we're living on it may be relatively speaking low in the environment that you are but for the vast majority of people we are like kings mm-hmm. and, and and i remember the hadith from muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa where he said if a man was granted um, food on his plate shelter above, shelter to live in with a roof over his head and he's secure from harm is if the whole world has been given to him, you know, is the world has been, because most people, they don't want to become owners of the world, they Mm -hmm. just want to be able to live, you know, without Mm -hmm. harm, without worrying about providing for for themselves, for their children, even, um, and, and not be attacked for 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 being alive simply, you know, <laughs> you know this, this is the this is the reality and I and I try to remind myself often lest I become you know deluded about my own problems and pressures and things like this because Ooh. and again you go back to the hadith of Muhammad where he said when it comes to when it comes to taqwa right, which is the objective of Ramadan is to achieve is one of the wisdoms that you achieve taqwa, al-taqwa you know, um, is drawing yourself towards Allah SWT, closely, but when you when you look at taqwa you look at those people above you you look at those people that are better than you, and, and you are, it's fine to be Envious of that, and to to want to do better than that, to compete with those people in achieving that level of taqwa that you see in them, it's it's fine, completely okay, completely legit to be able to desire that. But when it comes to the dunya and 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 wealth and what people have, you know, then you look at those below you, you know, beneath you, because you know alhamdulillah this is not the topic of discussion today but you know we all know people who are on the breadline and because of their various situations you know even here people who've divorced people who are single parents um you know people who uh, have lost their jobs and you know they got many Mm -hmm. mouths to feed uh, they got family back home to feed and, and support as well, and, and various situations, you know. And we're so quick to complain. It, it could get much worse. It could always get much worse. So, Alhamdulillah, yeah. Alhamdulillah, yeah, to the one who provides, to the one who is our helper, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, no, 100%, man. 100%. I mean, you talk, talk about reality, just, just think about the fact that um, just. Eid, the day of Eid, which is, you know, meant to be the celebration and and which is sort of linked to the topic of discussion today as well that, you know, whilst we were celebrating Eid, um, Gaza, the Muslims in Gaza were being uh, massacred, were being bombed, you know, Uh, we were, you know, maybe celebrating Eid by visiting family members and eating biryani and, and new type of food and stuff like this. But at the end of the reality is other people, like you said before, for them, just knowing whether they're going to survive the next five minutes was on their minds. So yeah, subhanAllah, man, some, some words of wisdom there, but It really some of which you need to put things into perspective. Um, and actually, with it being linked to the, the the sort of topics that we are going to discuss today, because there's loads to go through. Um, and uh, there's a lot of things which we need to clarify for people listening. Uh, we know that uh, in the in the last, you know, on Friday, last Friday, the ceasefire was announced between uh, Hamas and between the, uh, the usurping entity, i.e. the illegal state of, of Israel. And the thing is, is that for many Muslims, yes, certainly people celebrating in Gaza and in, in West Bank, um, we saw the next day actually Muslims being attacked within Masjid al-Aqsa again. But with all the stuff that's cracking off, I think there's certain things that are being uh, done in the background, which are actually, I would say, um, far more dangerous than a land being attacked by missiles, um, because actually these issues that are being discussed in the background, the future of this whole land depends on on these type of discussions, and it's important that we we speak about this. And this, the, the things that we want to speak about today in a couple of segments, first of all, is the issue of uh, internationalization. Uh, I don't know if our viewers or, or listeners have come across this term, but it is something which has been around for a while, but recently it's been brought, brought back on the scene. Also, there were uh, suggestions of having an international force in, in Gaza to stop any attacks. Um, and generally, we can have a discussion about what we think about the ceasefire. There's many things to discuss about. Now, the first issue um, I think we should discuss discuss about is the internationalization of, of Al-Quds or the internationalization of the sacred areas, which is Masjid al-Aqsa, uh, which they call the Temple Mount, or which we call the Harma Sharif. Um, and many people might think, well, uh, what's the problem with this? Even though we know in the last couple of weeks, uh, President Erdogan of Turkey, who is many see as the champion of uh, Muslims and Islam today, he's also mentioned something about having a different reality within the Masjid Al-Aqsa compound, where the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims can share this uh, with a, like a, on a common platform. And many may think, well, what's, what's the problem with that? But let's first of all clarify what is meant by internationalization of uh, Al-Quds or internationalization of the, the holy areas. Uh, Rasha, I'll, I'll, I'll drop this question to you, bro. What do you think?
1: No, it's a really important one because I don't think most people come across this concept of internationalizing any land in day-to-day life in general. You know There isn't really a call for internationalizing any land in the world other than when we talk about Al-Quds, when we talk about Jerusalem. So what internationalization in its simplest form means is not one pe- one person or one country owning a particular land or governing a particular land. It means more than one, and it usually means internationally. That's where the term internationalization comes from. It means everybody owns it. Or everybody has some kind of um, legitimate claim to it. So rather than it just being okay, it's Muslims administered, and yes, different people can live there. Or it's you know at the moment Zionist occupied, and therefore they control it. Or you know like the you know like um, when the British mandate was there, when they had the, a degree of administration over it. What they're talking about now is when they say internationalization, it means. We can't come to a common agreement which creates peace. Therefore, let's collectively, the international community, um, administer it. All of a sudden, what that means, it sounds good. It sounds like, okay, if, if we're all brothers in arms, we're all hand, hand, um, holding hands together, singing Kumbaya together, you've all um, got this land and you all look after it. It sounds good. Okay, it sounds like it's going to be, you know, it's going to be to the betterment of society. But what it actually is saying is that the Muslims no longer have a legitimate claim to it. And it needs to be shared. And I think I'm sure we're going to discuss it. But and we will see why it's problematic. I won't give the
0: full answer as to why it's problematic. But that's what it basically means, because one could argue that what this means is that if it's internationalized, it means that we see currently in the last couple of weeks um, is a, uh, a process of Judaization of these lands where what we can see is that the, uh, the Israeli government is trying to make the whole area basically belonging to the Jews, mm. i.e. remove any sort of remnants of Islam and stuff like this, right? So someone may argue, well, okay, if we're going to have now this now internationalized area, and it will be protected by international forces, as an example, then this means that this protects it from Israelis trying to change the demographic, trying to change the, uh, the whole area and taking it all. Um, Brother Nazid, why is that still a problem?
2: Yeah, so the, the point is, it, it, it comes from perspectives, right? Because what is good and bad depends on the perspective that you take, mm-hmm. right? so for if you look at it from a zionist perspective right then it's a bad thing because it's and as you've seen in israel and digs what they consider to be the extreme elements in zionism i would say zionism in itself is extreme but you know um within the 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 israel you see different parties and some of them considered to be the far right or extreme right they they want nothing but complete total ownership of all of what is what they've taken over and what remains mm. right not least jerusalem and and that is not the only thing they would want to rebuild the temple solomon's temple um, on the destruction of al-aqsa masjid i mean there's no it's not a hidden thing it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a desire now they argue it from a from a belief or religious perspective, and there's nothing that's gonna change that for them, right? Um, for the Muslims, you know, who who have had ownership of this land, and in fact, you know, uh, allowed and permitted and lived peacefully with the, the Christians and Jews who were in, welcomed back in to perform their worship and conduct their rituals and have ownership, we're not in a position to surrender land, right? Because from a from a Muslim perspective, the administering of the land according to what Allah and His Messenger had revealed is is non negotiable. Mm. Right? Now it might not be the case today, but the fact is we can't really move away from that position because that is what our religion our deen our way of life demands of us right so uh, those people who who then come from a a different perspective not one that is that is pragmatic they come in with the view that you know you can is just if you share between parties and have an equal stake then then in you know, the conflict is removed the, the right? thing and is it,
1: the thing is, I think another way, another perspective, people, I think Muslims look at it this way as well, don't they? They look at it from the point of view of it's currently occupied by Zionists. And surely the international community looking after it is better than it being occupied by Zionists. So you've been given two options. You've been given one option by the Zionists, mm. but equally you've been given another option by the U.S. of A like if you're given with two hands and both hands are from the devil but you might look at it and go that hand there looks looks better because that's better than the situation we are now and i think some people probably don't clarify it to themselves in that way because where is this suggestion of internationalization coming from it's coming from america it's coming from america um we detach that. So we sometimes purely look at it from the point of view, is it Zionist occupied or if is it available internationally? And naturally, it's easy to say, well, that's the better of the two, rather than looking at it and saying, look, actually, both of them that are being offered, firstly, are against Islam, as, and as it's already highlighted. But secondly, they're both um, calamitous from the point of view of if we look at it from the Islamic perspective, that is Muslim land. That is land that is, um, it might have relevance to all of the the different, the three Abrahamic faiths. And that's the argument, isn't it? The argument is about Suleiman's um, temple. It's about where Ibrahim, a.s., sacrificed Ishaq or went to sacrifice Ishaq. It's about the Wailing Wall, um, which the Jews have give significance to. It's about the Christian and what is the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is there as well. It's where Isa, Salam and his childhood. So there's so many links. But, so that's where they, they bring those and they present internationalization as a solution to it. But the way the Muslim, in my opinion, should look at it is it's occupied by Zionists now. If you give it to the international community, it will then be occupied, still occupied by the international community. So it's still occupation, and yeah. you don't want to replace one occupation with another, and that's the way I personally think Muslims should look at it.
2: Yeah, but so so you began, Brother Asha, by saying the interna- international internationalization is something being suggested by the USA. Now, someone can argue this is what has been proposed by the UN ever since the resolu- you know, the resolutions mm. they issued uh, yeah. around. Uh, establishing an independent Palestinian state and internationalizing mm. Jerusalem. Yes. So this is not a new concept that's just surfaced on the scene today, mm. but it is one that was proposed when the entity, uh, the, the, the is, Israeli entity was established uh, uh, and you know uh, the problems uh, basically stemming from it um, after the Balfour declaration and so on. Um, that Jerusalem is internationalized. Obviously, in recent times, it's been fairly unilateral action from the Israelis with the support of the U.S., which continue to contravene all sorts of international and UN mm. resolutions because, you know, those things, the UN has no power effectively to, to administer any kind of form of accountability, really. Even when it tries to, it gets shut down by the US as as it relates to the recent kind of disproportionate action it took uh, uh, Israel took in Gaza killing hundreds of people well just Um,
1: looking at the fact that America and what is it vetoed every single um, suggestion recently in this latest episode should highlight to us where the strength lies does it lie with the UN or does it lie with the U.S. And actually, we recognise that the two things—you know—we know where the power lies. Even if you were going to give them separate autonomy, which we know there isn't, because we know yeah. one's an extension of the other. But if you were going to be duped into thinking the two things are separate, you clearly can see who is the stronger—the one that constantly vetoes and has their way.
2: Yeah. So, so th- th- this is—you know—obviously the subject of debate here is—is. Uh, is is when people when the suggestion for internalization is is thrown around, it, it would be naive to think that this is a, an any international decision is is taken with you know an equal weight of input and contribution from each party. Really, when you're talking about international situations and you're talking about um, uh, uh the 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 main heads of those decisions it, it is the the united states which is the unilateral superpower of the world today mm. and which is why you know under the the u.s's protection uh it, it, the Zionists have managed to to continue to consume land and deny the the muslims in palestine their rights and continue to oppress them, and subjugate them in the most demeaning manner. Um, you know, you, know you, you cannot operate in the world today without having that sort of security from somewhere. Mm. Because, you know, on one hand, the international community can condemn people for for the crimes that they, nations and states, um, and on the other, they leave them to proceed, however that they have been. So. So when you look at the genocide in, 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 in Europe, you know, when you came to Bosnia, when you look at Israel, when you look at why he's going in Kashmir, we look at the Uyghur situations, whatever it may be, these are all kind of international incidents, right? Mm-hmm. But what has the, the, the international organizations or constructs like the UN, have, what have they been able to achieve with any of them,
0: really? yeah no. okay. so oh. and, yeah yeah, current, 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 yeah
2: so so, so I, this point is really just touching on you know when you're talking about international nationalization and handing the authority to a a a construct like the un is it the the fair impartial institution that you think it is simply because it's mooted to be an international organization mm-hmm. or is it really a tool to influence uh foreign policy goals when it's completely aligned with u.s interests exactly
0: yeah i i think i think from a from a islamic muslim point of view um there's one thing which is the hypocrisy of the so-called international community um and i think when it comes to this issue um, of al-quds and of jerusalem i think that sort of goes out the window because even if the international community was fair the point is, is as Muslims, this is an Aqeedah matter. This is a matter where this is that land that was, um, the, the keys were given to uh, Khalifa Omar ibn al-Khattab, and this is now Muslim land. Now, if people like Abdul Hamid II, who was the Khalifa of Islam at the time when he was approached by the Zionists, I think it's by Herzl, and he said that look, in, in you're gonna understand if if anyone if anyone was in a position to maybe give this land away, right? You probably say it's gonna be the actual represent representative of the Muslims. And he said, look, it's not mine for it's not mine uh, to give to anyone. Okay, this has been irrigated with the land, uh, the Muslim blood and so on. So the issue here is that this is Muslim land, and no one has the authority to write this away. Even if it was from the highest representative of Islam, uh, this is not permitted. So, from a Muslim point of view, this is not land that can be given away to anyone. This is Muslim land. And I think the important point that Rash made is that the argument is well, this area is, uh, you know, uh, religious for, for Jews and for Christians. No one's denying that, you know. But when we're talking about the authority in the land, i.e., who possesses the land, this is the Muslim land, and, and this is the reason why, even up until today, the most religious uh, church, you could argue, in Christianity, uh, which is in Jerusalem, the, the keys to this is with the Muslims. It's the Muslims who go and open it and administer the time between the Armenian Christians and the Greek Christians, and, and so on and so forth. Why? Because it's the Muslims who are administering this land, and this is something which cannot be taken away. And, and one last point I want to mention and get your thoughts in as well, is that um, I think uh, Brother Nazi touched upon it, that at the moment this uh, conflict, if you can call it that, is seen between the uh, Zionists and the Palestinians. Um, and let's put an extension to that, the Muslims, right? But now, if this area is internationalized and this belongs to everyone, or everyone has a piece of it, then it means that when the Muslims are going to retake this land, which they're going to have to, this is, this, this is something which is an obligation on, on, on Muslims. Now, then, the conflict isn't between just two parties. The conflict is between the Muslims and the entire world. So what do you guys think about that?
1: Yeah, and, and that, that I think Muslims aren't looking at it from a visionary point of view. I think it's a bit short termism. Because we're looking at it from the point of view of right now, what is the better situation? Rather than looking at it from the point of view of, you know what, Allah has promised that this land will again be under the under the leadership of the Muslims. Allah has promised that this land will again be the capital of a future Islamic nation. you know. And if that is promised, then you need to be a bit more visionary and look at that and say, that means that now we might be having to go up against the Yehud and these Zionists who we know are cowards. We know they are cowards because they have all of the might, all of the power, and they continue to bomb women and children. And still they run away from a few firecrackers and a few stones. So we know they are cowards. The only reason they are so haughty and brazen and arrogant today is because they have more than one iron dome. The reason they have more than one iron dome is they have one shooting down you know these missiles from hamas and they have over 50 in these other muslim lands who are protecting them these leaders of muslim lands are also iron domes for these for the zionists because they're protecting them that's the only reason they can be so arrogant and so haughty towards the muslims but the issue is that now it's just against those cowardly jews okay whereas actually if you internationalize this We are then against the whole world When we want to take that back And make that the capital of a, a future Khilafah, then what we have to do Is we have to fight against the whole International community And, yeah, and yeah. obviously that is more difficult So okay, we have uh, to be very realistic
0: One question then, one question is that Okay, we speak to Abdullah In the mosque you or know, uh, uh, Jafar in the, in the chip shop And he, he might see it like that, right? But this has been um, suggested, encouraged by someone like President Erdogan, mm-hmm. who is a master of politics. What's going on there, guys? I mean, you know, isn't this uh, supposedly the 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 new hero of, of Islam, the one who we all look up to, and you know, the one who has done maneuvers, great maneuvers in in the, in the recent past? What's going on there then?
2: I, I'll mention a couple of things. One is this issue of Palestine, why we're talking about it here, rather than, and it's an issue that is confined only to those people who are still living there or were evicted, is because we consider it to be an issue related to Islam itself. Yeah. To to all Muslims, wherever they may be, the the importance of which is not just related to the issue of Masjid al-Aqsa, but in relation to, you know, the, the, the land upon which Islam was implemented mm. and upon which land we are unable to, to concede. You know, mm. so, mm. so um, you know, this is the reason why some may say to you, you're not a Palestinian and you're not in that land and it's nothing to do with you. Why are you talking about it? So it's important to remember that this is, matter is not a, a secular issue for Muslims. It's an issue to do with, related to their deen and the importance, not just of the holy precincts, but justice, Adil in general, in that this was a land uh, belonging to people who were evicted and made refugees and, and so on, and murdered and slaughtered. So that, that's one point. The second point, you brought up was um, related to uh, President Erdogan. Mm-hmm. And w- what I think about this issue is, you know, we have many people, including myself, we we feel um, heartened by some of the statements that uh, Erdogan makes and Turkey we, we look at the things it, the positive actions that it takes to to give confidence to the ummah mm. and to reflect what we carry in terms of our belief as opposed to the, the other leaders we have over our worlds namely the the UAE the Saudi and others which we do not see any of our islam in We don't mm. see we don't see anything really in them that, that, that goes back to what we, you know, how we see ourselves. But when Ardha he talks about the rights of the Muslims in Palestine or anywhere else and demonstrates any form of strength, then this is where we tend to appreciate the things he says. Yep. So so this is where, in in a world where there's a vacuum of, any kind of righteous leadership in the Muslim world, you know, he has a monopoly. You can say,
0: yeah, hundred <laughs> yeah. percent,
2: yeah. So, so although this doesn't, it, it isn't where it ends, you know, for for the Muslims, because with that, for any discerning Muslim, we we find it difficult to make sense of uh, our brother Erdogan and the inherent contradictions between his support and his you know dominant position when it comes to forthright position when it comes to defend the the things he says about defending islam and muslims to the real facts on the ground so when we think about you know the trade agreements turkey has with israel the military um joint uh, maneuvers that that he performs and various other things you know how do you tally the support that he has with also the facts relating to the the very strong kind of relationship he has with Israel on, on a number of matters despite you know the murdering and slaughtering of the Muslims so this it's contradictory
1: yeah I, I, to to give, it. yeah sorry just to give my little view on that one as well because I've been speaking to few brothers you know Turkish brothers about this topic as well and I think where the defense of Erdogan comes on on even this matter is the argument that is provided is that initially he went to the OIC organizer, you know, the countries that re- represent Islamic nations. <coughs> and he went to those nations and asked them for some support on the Palestinian issue. And there was there was silence from them. Yeah, or the, he, what he was hoping from them. So I'm trying to give the, the perspective from Erdogan's point of view, or the, the brothers that are from Turkey who have given, you know, his side. And what they're saying is he went to those countries that he expected help from on this issue, and they didn't provide it. And because they didn't provide the help, then that's what kind of pushed him towards having to go to the likes of the Pope and asking the Pope to, to speak out against the oppression of, of the Zionists, of the Jews, towards the Muslims, and then to propose what he has proposed. So the defense of Erdogan is he tried from an Islamic perspective to say that, okay, whatever solution we come up with, it should be the Muslims who get together and come up with the solution rather than us relying upon any of the, the non-Muslim nations, because we recognize this is an Islamic problem, not an international problem. So you, could get, you can give credit to that, because what he's saying is, I'm just going to go to the likes of Pakistan, I'm going to go to the likes of some of these Arab countries, go to the likes of Iran, and I'm going to seek support. But because he didn't get that support, that's what then pushed him towards the likes of Russia, the likes of, of the Pope and from the Christianity point of view. But the issue isn't, I don't think the issue isn't what actions took place previously in order to get to the situation that it is now. The issue is what is being proposed. Because what is proposed and the, the quote, and I'll mention the quote that Erdogan said, he says, it would be most correct and consistent for Jerusalem to be administered by a commission of representatives from the three faiths. Mm. You see, all of a sudden, whether he means it or not, remember, you know, when someone's a leader, we don't look at his intentions. We look at his actions. We don't know what his intentions are.
0: Mm. It
1: may be that his intentions are that I've tried all the Muslim nations. They're all sellouts then none of them are coming to the aid of the Muslims. I have no other avenue other than to go to the Kuffar and say, look, you know, we need to do something to stop the killing. But then to present the, or to propose that what the solution is, is, oh, OK, so we need to administer this land across all three faiths and therefore give legitimacy. What does that do? It gives legitimacy to Israel. It will, even if this goes towards, or it is, if you think about it, this proceeds towards what? The two-state solution. Does it not? It's saying that Jerusalem will be internationally administered or even Al-Aqsa will be internationally administered. Administered, The so-called lands that the palace, the very small amount of land that the, the Muslims have left, maybe they can somehow administer that. And the rest of the land, which is our land, will be given away to the Jews, to the Israel, and therefore they become legitimate a legitimate state. You see, that's what it's going towards. So it's not about questioning Erdogan's intentions. He may have come about it with good intentions, but what you are proposing is in line now with what the United States of America, what previously, and Nazid made a good point, just because internationalization has now come from them, internationalization, he's right, it came from initially was a discussion at the time of the British and it was the French and um, um, British who couldn't agree on who should take this land. They decided who would cut up the other land and who would have influence over the other lands. This particular land, Sykes and Pico, they couldn't completely agree who should take this land and there was actually a conflict between the British and the French about this. So when Allenby goes into that land um, PICO actually went in as well at the time, because they recognised that we don't want the British to take control of this, because we want, we want a bite of the, uh, of the cake as well. So there was a conflict there as well. So the point I'm trying to make is this internationalisation, it was something that has been discussed from a very long time, but it's always come from the West in terms of
0: a way of making it more difficult for the Muslims in this region. But, but I think that's the point that I'm, I'm making, bro, because look, at the end of the day, you're right. what you're saying is, is right. But this plan, let's look at it. is It's exactly the same plan that was originally mentioned by the UN yeah. and later on has been promoted by certain administrations. It's exactly the same thing. Mm. And what my worry is, you see, I mean, like I said, okay, it's a good point you make. Look, we don't know what people's intentions are. Maybe, you know, maybe they have good intentions or you judge by actions. But the yeah. thing is that, when you look at this situation, what's dangerous is who's saying it. So, yeah. for example, you have, uh, you know, uh, Khalid Mishal. He's like you'd say the head of the political side of Hamas. Okay, mm-hmm. so on the one hand, you've got the Al Qasim Brig- Al-Qasim Brigade, right? Who, you know, gave the um, the Zionists a bloody nose. Yeah, um, and you know, may Allah Subh'anawha accept their efforts and their and their shahid from them. Amen. Um, but then at the same time, then you've got the political side of Hamas, uh, who, you know, only recently, uh, Khalil Nishal, he said, look, you know, they're happy to join the umbrella of the PLO, mm-hmm. okay, uh, and, and join the administration of uh, the policing side of, of the area, which is meant to be like the Palestinian Authority. Mm-hmm. This is a recognition of two states. Forget two states. This is a recognition, this is a recognition of, of the uh, occupation, occupation. Because what you've got to understand here is the fact that up until now, Hamas's position has been they don't recognize Israel. But now when you're now part of this process and you have to actually directly directly be in contact with these people, how, how is it that you're not recognizing them? And that, to me, is is the dangerous aspect of who's saying it. Because Hamas now, within the Ummah, everyone's bringing, bringing them up, and rightly so, but that's the fighting side. Now, but but is Shal, people don't differentiate between the political side and the and the fighting wing, right? So now people can say, well, okay, yeah, Hamas they're doing it; it must be right. Erdogan is saying this; it must be right. And to me, I think that's the danger of it. And and as Nazid said and, and you said as well that look, uh, recently, like the conversion of Hagia Sophia and, and all these things, the, the maneuvers maneuvers that Erdogan has done uh, have been really good. Uh, even you know the. Uh, his uh, mobilization in in places like Syria to stop the Kurds from you know creating this new Israel entity within the, the the Muslim lands. But the point is though, is when it comes down to it, this position that's being promoted is one which we have to as Muslims um, openly reject. There's there's no discussion. There's no uh, you know shura on this matter this matter is clear, and it's something which we're not going to accept. And I think think that's from my point of view, that's my concern of who's saying it. Mm.
2: There's, there's, yeah, there is. Today, we are without a Khilafah. Uh, For centuries, in, in various states, there was one, you know, a very strong state, a very weak state. There was always one until it was dismantled in you know the early part of the 1900s um, mm. but the, the, the thing is that the breakup of the caliphate and the fact that it, it, it has become the, the, the call to re reestablish it has become you know it, it took generations to, to deceive into believing that this is something that is acceptable before it became weak amongst the muslims Mm -hmm. before it took you know alhamdulillah many great muslims to revive those thoughts Mm -hmm. amongst the muslims for them to pick it up and for it to grow to the strength that it does today that you know you know you you see the the generation of isis to and and movements such as those to discredit the, the the movement around Khilafah and an authority based upon Islam um, you see that because of the growing strength and they needed an outfit like that when I say they I mean those who oppose any kind of a, uh, authority being based upon it similarly with the issue of Palestine you know you can be deceived into accepting things which go against Islam if it comes from the right sources mm. so so you know you see Abdullah bin Bayah. Sheikh Abdullah bin Bay, I believe that's his name, who heads up the institution at, based out of the UAE, who commended the ruler of the UAE for normalizing relationships with Israel. Now, he came from an authority, a scholarship, scholarly authority based out in UAE, and he commands a great deal of respect uh, amongst certain Muslims, but obviously that took a dent when he came out with in support of normalization of Israel which has been a position which the Muslims have you know universally agreed upon that there is no normalization because it's a, a, a you know it's an occupying entity right so the the question about being deceived you're right it's it's better the enemy that you know than the one who hides uh, amongst you um, I'm mm-hmm. not saying Erdogan is that person i'm just saying deception is made easier when it comes through in palatable pieces through Mm. people that command the respect of the people knowingly or unknowingly um so yes internationalizing jerusalem is completely in line with u.n proposals and now the 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 u.s Um, you know it's the the other point is you know it when 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 you're talking about internalized nationalization is it really international or is it just the us you know um so 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 when you're talking about the present situation israel has depleted its iron dome right because of the flurry of rockets from hamas and the resistance in in gaza this is on the news and it's expensive to support these things, be far beyond the wealth that Israel itself is able to generate right? Right. and is able to sustain. So there are U.S. proposals to further supplement the, the, the funds that it provides to Israel, military funds, in terms of um, you know, replenishing its missile stock and, and so on. It's currently being held up. But you see, it's not the international community that's paying for Israel, it's the U.S., right? It's the U.S. who holds the strings to most Mm. of these things. I mean, the U.N. as a construct, international community, it's basically the U.N. And within the U.N. you have veto rights that are given to the dominant powers, Mm. right? So... It's not really international. You are gonna tell me that someone like Bangladesh is gonna have a say in what happens. Not really. Or mm. Pakistan or any other nation. It's, it's you know, you've got China who is basically genocide in the Uyghur region and it's proven, right? Now it's in the US's interest to disparage China now because of the competition that it has against China for lots of things, resources and economically. Um, so it's kind of flagging all of these things to the world now. When it's not in its interest, it, it'll become muted, right? It, it's 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 not something that it will push. So when you're talking about international situations, giving it to the international situation, giving it in to that is basically hanging, handing it officially to U.S. who pulls the international strings, and they're completely in support of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a impartial fair player here they've Ooh. made announcements the governments they are the ones who've helped to establish it to secure it to fund it and in every statement that they've made they've been very clear about israel's right to defend itself mm-hmm. as a state you know clearly knowing that palestinians from their perspective are not a state mm-hmm. right there were some senators i believe who who questioned the the officials government officials when they made that statement to say us has a right to any state has a right to defend itself and and the question i asked the government official he said you see my problem with this is that you know do the palestinians have a right to defend themselves against israeli aggression and the guy kept on reiterating the fact that every state has a right to defend itself knowing that the palestinians don't have a a state yeah but he can't bring himself to say that those oppressed people have a right to to defend itself because the you will you know the zionist lobby groups will will yeah. will, will will jump on him you know and yeah, yeah. and, and you, he will he will have to backtrack on his position because of its official uh, unequivocal support for israel because that's what they all say unequivocal and unequivocal support for for Israel, there's no conditions.
0: But you know, you're talking about no conditions. A quick question for you guys, and this is something which normal people have mentioned to me. I want to get your thoughts. I got my thoughts, so I want to get your thoughts as well. That you mentioned the Iron Dome has been depleted. You mentioned like in, in America, certain people uh, within the within you know within the government or not within the government, politicians are talking about you know, um, having uh, stopping aid, military aid. To the Zionist entity. Some people are saying, you know, our support shouldn't just be unconditional. Certain people are saying this and that. And also, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the coverage of the last week or so from places like Sky News and BBC, yeah. right, who is like extremely biased, normally extreme, and even though they couldn't be completely fair, we don't expect that anyway. But still, nevertheless, it was a lot different the coverage this time. So what you're seeing, and also then you've got this. Issue where uh, slogans such as Palestinian Lives Matter, where it's likened it to a a Black Lives Matter global uh, issue, right? You're seeing a lot of these things now happening. Um, whilst in the past, this was a lot of this was stopped by the US, is vetoed and etc. So, do you think that this is a way of America putting pressure on on Israel to to do and tow their line? Um, what are your thoughts on, on this uh, media coverage has been a bit pro-Palestinian, shall I say?
1: Yeah, so, uh, no, I, I think I, I've seen that as well, and I think that's a, something that does need discussing. I think it comes down to, and Muslims have also fallen, I think, for this trap as well, whereby I think there's some realisation that, oh, maybe we are achieving something with our protests and with our actions, that look, a lot of people are now talking negatively about Israel. And then the media is having to cover it from that point of view as well. Okay, which, by the way, this is a double-edged sword. Yeah, so it, it is a good thing that people are coming to the realization of what Israel really stands for. And what they, re- you know, that they are an entity that is the most despicable <laughs> entity on earth. I think the fact that people are coming to that realization is a good thing, but it's dangerous because the reason why I think it's dangerous is if that is what causes a lot of people to then say, look, the Palestinians need a state more than ever before, that pushes for this two-state solution even more. So the fact that Israel is now being looked in the negative light, and then America holding up, you know, the Democrats holding up that $735 billion you know, contract for arms... It's, it's using like a a carrot and stick approach. It's trying to show Israel in this negative light now. and then it's trying to say that if if they remain remain doing what they're doing now, then they're not going to get our support. So they have to compromise. And they are somewhat pushed to compromise. And then these normalizations that have been happening over the last year, that's like the the carrot side of the approach to say, look, Israel, if you normalize with these lands, if you have some kind of a relationship with them, then you, we'll, we'll be able to support you more. So what that fundamentally results in, though, the reason why I call it a double-edged sword is that pushes more towards this two-state solution. It pushes more towards Israel compromising, because remember, be- before all of this, Israel don't want a two-state solution. No. Israel wants a single one state solution. Trump, in fact, was pushing more for a one state solution. Okay. 100%. Yep. And then all these deal of the century things were just a way of facilitating it. Okay. As we talked about in previous podcasts. So, this notion that you're right in the media, the, the, the other side of the narrative has been portrayed a little bit more this time. Yes, it makes Israel look like the bad guy more than ever before. And that is a good thing. But if that leads to a two-state solution, then that's a bad thing. So that's why I think it's, it's quite a, an important point that Muslims need to be aware of. And if they're not, they'll get used as a political pawn. We'll get used as a political pawn to go, yes, that's actually, we've achieved our own downfall and the cutting off of one of our limbs and being given to someone else. We'll have achieved that with our own hands. And that's, that's the
0: dangerous side, in my opinion. And do you, do you think there's a, do you think there's a genuine difference in policy under Trump, um, and under Biden? Uh, and what I mean by that is, is, we know that as Rush said, Trump was pushing more towards this towards this one-state solution. It was actually, you know, willing to give everything to Israel. Whilst it seems like the Democrats, um, are you know trying to be a bit different in their approach because they're pushing more towards the old school. Uh, two-state solution thing. but or, or do you think that actually this is all part of the plan? And what I mean by that is you had Trump come in, come in this maverick, right, who was just like crazy. He's come in. He recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He recognized the uh, the Golden Heights as part of Israel, right? He gave them everything, Okay. And it came to a stage where, wow, actually, you know what? Uh, Because remember, you guys will remember when there was talks about them taking even more land in West Bank. Remember, then it was stopped, right? And It's like, oh, well, you know, these guys are going to take everything now. Mm. And then what happens is, you know, uh, Sleepy Joe comes on the scene, right? Biden, he comes on the scene. And it seems like, actually, you know what? With this, before with Trump, we were going to lose everything. With this guy, at at least he's promoting something which we will get something from. But you know what the key is? The key is, he's not actually reversing anything that Trump did, right? So it's like as if uh, they've given the Palestinians even less than what they originally had, but now it's a scenario that, listen, okay, it's probably less than what you had before, but if you don't take this, actually, you're you're not getting anything. So it it seems like as if the pressure that's being put on on Israel um, in all of this, because this may be US politics, Israel, they try to do things their own way, um, and then they get slapped down by the, the the presidents And then they sort of come in line for a bit Then they do the other stuff And, you know, they're like this spoiled um, I want to use a term, but I'm not going to This spoiled child uh, Which, you know, is sometimes, you know Let to reign free And then other times is given a bit of a beating To put it back in line And it seems like now This is what the US are doing That, listen, you need to come in line With what our wider objectives are And if you don't Then there's accountability here, and not everything's going to be as cozy as it was under Trump. Um, what's, what's your thoughts on this, Nazid?
2: Yeah, so so y- initially talk about you talked about the the change in the media mm. uh, in response to the blackout, shall we say, on the Palestinian uh, side of things, because. You know, we we can't think of the media as being as independent as we do. It just isn't, right? It's a media. Media is a tool used to influence public opinion, not the other way. Not the other way. Mm. Public opinion doesn't influence what's in them. It's there's a saying, isn't there? Life imitating art, or is art imitating life? Right? And 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 you know, there's there's uh, there's plenty on that that I won't go into. So this is why social media and the influence of public, the, the public domain and internet has just really killed uh, the ability ar- around that. And he, but the, but but now we're also seeing that social media in itself can, you know, all of the laws that they're bringing in to, to curb extremism and, and other things are also bringing in to stifle free information.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. But the same things are being used. You need to control information, and the greatest. Innovation in, in modern times is the freedom of information and how it can be shared with, with the the development of technology and mediums. Right? It's just instantaneous. What WhatsApp and things like that. Uh, I remember in the time of the, not to digress too much, but in the time of the Turkish coup, you know, people were just sending messages through WhatsApp and stuff. And even uh, Erdoğan himself was doing something. I don't know how it was. Was it WhatsApp video or something? And he managed yeah, to get yeah. across. So, you know, the, these are tools, often a different reason will be given to, to, to build in the controls around it, but as we've seen, you know, it's used for more nefarious uh, reasons, um, including the monitoring of Muslims and stuff that we've seen happen in, in the UK and abroad. Um, so, g- going back to the point I was going to say is... Um, the changing in, in tide, right, uh, around the Palestinians and the, and the viewpoint around Israeli aggression, <clears throat> it's a it's a tool it's a tool to bring people in line. Right, when you step ahead of yourself, we can just dial it up a little bit more, one side to the other, and 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 then subjugate people or bring them back in line. What do I mean by this? I mean lord palmerston he once said we have no eternal allies we have no perpetual enemies our interests are eternal and perpetual and those interests it is our duty to follow right mm. there when you when talk about the american nation yes it, it's overwhelmingly christian uh, it's not it's not it's not but the thing is it, it's driven by its interests right so when it comes to the, the issue of Israel, yes, it will support, at the moment, the Israelis and, and, and the, the, the state of Israel furthers its ambition and its interest in that region, right? But as long as it goes against its interests, then he will start to move the dial in different directions to bring it back in line. It, it doesn't want perpetually, it doesn't want the conflict in Israel to be between the extreme Zionists and the Islamic cause because as long as you bring it to that arena and you polarize it on that basis, it has no ability to survive. Mm. Right, you're talking about in every single way, right, you're talking about two billion Muslims, even those on the fringes of Islam will still be quite strong about his view in terms of the injustices by this entity of Israel, right, and then the, the closer you get to the, the lands of Islam, the stronger it is, the more vociferous and the more embedded it is, right? The, the, the more you, you fight against the Muslims on that basis, the more stronger and entrenched that belief becomes. It, it's self-defeating, right? So, so if he wants to see a, a, a secular state in the Middle East that is, does his bidding there, it needs to be one that can survive on the right basis and it mm. can't survive on the basis of pursuing this it, what it calls an extreme zionist agenda mm. right it, it needs to be seen as secular it needs to be seen as democratic and it needs to be seen as one which is embracing of its
0: mm.
2: palestinian inhabitants let's forget palestinian muslim inhabitants right mm.
1: Yeah, Yeah, What what they try and promote isn't it that Israel is the the only true democracy in the region and they want to do that because they're trying to say look to the Muslim nations you guys need to implement democracy properly because that's what we're asking you to um, implement and that's what the progressed world or the civilization that we see today, you know, democracy is the way forward. And that's why they try and promote Israel as this model democracy in in the lands. I think what I'll point this to, though, is I'm I'm sure people have seen it, this poster that people have put together with all of the Muslim lands in green and right in the middle, um, this illegal entity of Israel right in the middle in red. And it highlights the reason why that can exist in that situation. So, you know, whenever America talk about Israel and its protection, It talks about, if you've noticed, it talks about its own security as well. Why are America talking about their security in terms of their interest towards Israel? There's something more to this that people sometimes don't appreciate. Why is it, and we're talking about the Muslim lands, and right in the middle of the Muslim lands, this tiny place, but also not just Muslim lands, Al-Sham the most blessed of Muslim lands, you have this illegal entity that is being protected, okay, by all of these false, you know, all of these traitorous leaders in Muslim lands, but also America, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of miles away as well. It's because they recognize that removing this and allowing some form of unity amongst all of that green in this poster that I'm sure a lot of people have seen, and getting rid of this entity, illegal entity in the middle, and that resulting in some unification of the Muslim lands is a security threat to the West, to to America. They recognize that if Islam rises and it unifies and it uses all of its resources collectively, as we've been speaking about in recent podcasts, then that is... uh, a clear opposition to them in the same way as like Nazid mentioned about the likes of their opposition to some of what China is doing. They, that's one opponent. They don't want another opponent on the scene, an opponent which is far, far stronger, not just because of the resources and the convenient routes and the strategic geopolitical um, kind of l- region, but also because they recognize, and, and by the way, this is linked to the, the resistance in, Hama, in, in um, Gaza, they recognize that it is not what the resources that make the Muslims strong, it is their iman, it's their, it's their, you know, the fact that people are willing to die for this cause. The Muslims are willing to die because they see martyrdom as a success. If martyrdoms a success, then this is why the Jews in themselves are so afraid of this. They're afraid that these Muslims, they are there seeking martyrdom, and that is victory, with no weapons or limited weapons in comparison to who their adversaries are. Imagine you just gave a partial amount of that military hardware to the Muslims of Gaza or to the Muslims in that region. You would see the Yehud jumping out into the sea and swimming away. But the reason you don't see that is because you have these other nations and their leaders, or not the nations, but their leaders protecting um, this tiny little entity in the middle of the Muslim lands. And then from further afield, you have all that support. But just to quickly add as well, then, in answer to your initial question, I think that's why, you know, you said the difference between Trump, Obama, and now Biden and things like that. You see their styles may slightly differ, but all of them want the existence of Israel because they see it as part of their security in the Muslim yeah. lands. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, with any negotiation, right? If you're a salesperson and you're trained to sell something, right? right there's a psychology to selling something onto mm. people, right? Um, when, you, when you go in a, and, and you're trying to sell something at a price, You'll go in, you know, you want to sell it for 50 50 pounds or $50. You'll go in at 100 and say, look, okay, I'll do you this deal for 100. Knowing that you're going to be embroiled in some haggling, Mm -hmm. right? And then you haggle for a long time, and then you come back at what your original target was, 50 pounds. And the other party believes that they've managed to, to gain some concessions from you and go away happy with the deal that they've achieved right mm. so the extreme reaction of trump to 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 announce jerusalem mm. and all of these when we're talking about america america doesn't just act on the whims of one person exactly right no no self-respecting state does uh on 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 the whims of a person there is a government, there are institutions, there are think tanks, there's policymakers, there's civil, you know, workforce behind all of this that examine and analyze and then it funnels back up to a decision that it takes, mm. right, so Biden and Trump are two sides of the same coin, they they have different styles and depending on which four furthers the position that they they're looking to to, to the objective that they have right so so you know if if it seems like you know under Trump that it was overly lopsided and it, and that resulted in the conditions that we see today and then Biden comes in to propose what has always been proposed since the inception of the State of Israel then it seems like a good bargain right as Rachel said Russell Ra- said earlier on, you know about um uh um you know how these kind of deals are made you know where you look back and and you you you're looking at what you're gaining in the context of the two options that you've been given right not necessarily in what is the right option right so so you know again going back to the analogy of the salesperson when you look to book a meeting with a customer who's not interested at all, or or you're trying to, to to book him in for an appointment, they they advise you to give two times because then the, the, the customer thinks only in terms of the two options is being offered. Right? So I'm I'm selling you something, I say, okay, when when should I come around? Nine o'clock or ten o'clock? Not whether I should come at all. <laughs> you know, that's that's not being presented as an option. Yep. You see, and then the customer feeling He's already in the process now, so he has to choose one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then, then consents to one or the other option, yeah. right? So, so here, the option is being presented as, you know, do you stick with the continuing aggressions and the continuing death toll, and and that you see, or is it that you accept something which will prevent the loss of life, and will give you an independent state that you can look forward to uh, and and you know but but it doesn't come at a it, it, it doesn't come for free you know you've got to relinquish some of your age-old positions
0: yeah no sure for sure for sure i think this is this is this is a trick that's being played um and another thing which i want to speak about but i think the I think we've already answered it in a way, which is the fact that uh, even the proposed force, international force in in Gaza, even though it sounds good on paper, and it also has been promoted by, uh, suggested by someone like uh, President Erdogan, is the fact that, you know, again, this is the same thing where if you had international forces in that land, A, now you're, in a way, you're recognizing across the border is an entity which is there, which has its own rights, which is Israel, which we don't accept that. And secondly, also it'd be a problem because now you have uh, international forces even on the ground and and something which as Muslims is really, really important to understand is that all these uh, treaties and all these peace initiatives, all they ever do is uh, stop the Muslims from doing what they need to be doing. For example, when the two-state solution was origi- originally uh, mentioned, you know, with the uh, with the Oslo Accords, what we see is that since then till now, even you know, even if what was proposed then had happened, we wouldn't have accepted it. But all that did do was uh, the the Muslims, the Palestinians, put their guns away in places like West Bank. They stopped the resistance in that respect, right? And these guys are just taking the land bit by bit by bit, and we are where we are now. You look at the Golden Heights, you had UN peace co- uh, peacekeeping forces in the in the Golden Heights, right? If you think about it, then America just announced, yep, okay, unilaterally, this is part of Israel now. In fact, all the UN troops ever did was stop the Muslims from taking Golden Heights back. So we should never, ever go with these type of initiatives. And this is something which we reject. And we would also reject any idea of having international forces in Gaza. And in all honesty, our brothers... Uh, in Gaza would be the first To reject this notion Even though they're the ones who would, you'd say You know who take the brunt of, of The attack but okay guys What I want to do is sort of like get Your, your final thoughts uh, On all these issues whether it's the Internationalization or whether it's what's Happening in Gaza or even On what you think about the ceasefire um, And you know Hopefully get your final thoughts so we can sort of Slowly bring the podcast to a close uh, I'll start off with with you, Rash, uh, on on your sort of final thoughts on on what you want to convey. So I've got a few, but I'll keep them as short as possible. No, yeah? fine. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. So I
1: think w- I just want to reiterate one of the points you made earlier <clears throat> about who the, some of these solutions come from. So imagine if it was Mohammed bin Salman or Mohammed bin Zayed, who most Muslims recognise as traitors yeah if they came forward with the solution that erdogan's come forward with then we would reject it immediately outright yeah i think we'd we already would see that this is coming from you know a source that we're not happy with so i think that was your point earlier i know but i think that's really important that whoever brings the plan to the table look at the plan not necessarily who it's coming from because otherwise we'll be duped I think that's very important. And whether he's done it because he had no other option and he's sincere or whatever the argument, put that aside. But look at the reality of what is being offered. And as Naz said, look at it through the lens of Islam. If you look at it through the lens of Islam and you look at what is required in this land, then that will be better for us. Okay. Um, also, you know, you mentioned, I think all of the political dimensions you mentioned about the PLO, about Khalid Mashal, about, you know, what could now happen after the weapons are put down, the danger is the politicians get involved, and they, they compromise. And, yeah. and, you know, when it's the Palestinians themselves, from the outside someone can say to us it's easy for you to talk because you're not there suffering so maybe if you was there you would compromise too this is why it's not their issue to solve themselves this is an issue for the ummah to solve this is the issue for the muslims to solve what we saw in this most recent episode is that muslims across the globe and we've everybody's been sharing the WhatsApp videos and these kind of things. Muslims across the gro- globe realized that you know what? You cannot solve this problem diplomatically. This is not something that's going to be diplomatically solved because we've seen every, if anything's got the word accords stuck to the end of it, it usually is going to result in more land being lost. So that's what diplomacy gets you. It's come to the point where people said, look, what is the point of having tanks and armies and barracks and missiles and all of these? And what is the point in having those things is if our third holiest place in Islam is under occupation, our Muslims are having their blood spilled. What is the point of all of those things? Absolutely no point. If that was happening in Makkah, would we be happy with di- diplomacy? We wouldn't. Hmm. So it's very important that we don't leave the Palestinians to come up with the solution for themselves because you can understand a degree of compromise from them because they're wrapped up in it. And we know some of these leaders from the political side will have sold out in the past and will sell out again. And this is very important for people to appreciate this. The ceasefire, you know, you mentioned, you asked the question about the ceasefire, the ceasefire is only is seen as a good thing for those people who looked at it as a humanitarian issue.
0: Because, mm-hmm. you
1: know, if the, if the issue is humanitarian, you know, people dying, then clearly a ceasefire stops stopped the, the deaths. But what the ceasefire does not do is it does not r- remove the occupying entity. Equally, those people who see it as purely a Palestinian issue, uh, having a small Palestinian state somewhat solves that problem. But that creates a bigger problem for the Muslims. So that's why it's very important we look at it from an Islamic perspective. And that's why you need these other nations to come into play. And remember, you know, when we're asking for the armies to do their duty, to be fair, I think everybody who asks for the army to do their duty, or maybe not everybody, but a lot of people who ask the armies, I think they realize that those armies are not going to do anything because they realize the strings that hold the army are, are corrupt or are compromised by their relationship with other other nations. But what it does do, hopefully, it's awoken Muslims to go, we are now having to sever that link between what the masses want, what even members of the army want, remember, and they are part of the masses, and what the leaders are willing to provide. Mm. So in other words, what imagine there's 100 of us in a room, and we all want something. And the person who is in charge of that room isn't giving it to us. There gets to a point where we go, you know what? We don't want you anymore. We want one of us 100 to stand in your place and they will deliver what we want. So when we ask the armies, we're saying that if a real leader was there that carried out what is in our interests, then this is what they would do. So yes, we don't actually expect one of these leaders to turn around and send their army. We hope, but... Clearly, we've seen the worst of occasions and they haven't done it. So this is important for severing that link between, you know, the people and these rulers that are not obliging by what the Sharia has asked them to do in this situation. And remember, you can. Jihad is an obligation even without an Islamic state. Jihad to liberate lands that are Muslim lands to fight to a defensive jihad is obligatory we know offensive to spread islam that requires a legitimate it requires a proper islamic state it requires a khilafah but defensive to go and protect your brothers and sisters and remove an occupation these so-called leaders of muslim lands they should be doing that but they're not and that's really important. And then the very last thing is that, um, and someone shared it on on Facebook recently. Is you know when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says that you know you need if there's a situation you need to correct it with your hand, yeah. And if you can't fix that problem with your hand, then you need to fix it with your tongue. I think it's very important to appreciate that fixing something with because we can't do it physically. That's why the responsibility is on the leaders. That's why the responsibility is on the armies. We cannot go and physically solve that problem. But you know, when, because we can't speak out, it, some people sometimes think speaking out just means, oh, talk about it. But actually, if you're not talking about the actual solution, you're putting words out there that are confusing the masses. If if all you're doing is speaking and someone's talking about charity, someone's talking about boycott, someone's talking about petitioning, and someone's talking about this, that, and the other, then there's just all of this noise. And then that one person who's saying this is the correct solution, we require Muslim armies, we require unity, we require an Islamic state to go and solve this problem, that gets drowned out in all of the other voices. So when we speak about changing it with our tongues, we have to speak about the actual solution. Otherwise, all we're doing is creating more noise and confusion. So okay. Just a few of my thoughts. Sorry if I went no. on a bit.
0: No, no, just uh, a Brother Nazith.
2: Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I'm a simple person. I'm not very complicated at all, to be honest. So, so you know, my message is very simple we are the ummah of muhammad sallallahu wa sallam. we believe in allah and the last day and this is what we are committed towards right where we do not believe in the senseless killing and slaughtering of people we believe in justice mm. uh, allah gave muhammad sallallahu as the mercy unto mankind rahmatul alameen. And, and the religion of Islam brings justice and mercy to people, as it did when the Muslims were able to rule over themselves with it, right? We lost our way and we ended up in this situation. You can only criticize the, the, the people who worked against the Muslims so much because, you know, if you're not on your A-game, then how long can you continue to blame shaitan? for what he does. You know about shaitan, he's an open enemy, Allah warns against that. Allah warns against compromising your beliefs and Allah warns against, you know, uh, selling yourself out for the dunya and all of those things. So in that context, you know, the situation we find ourselves in, we need to sort our house out, right? And, And when we saw any of our problems, we need to use the resources available to us to sort it, not go to someone else, as an Ummah. Muhammad didn't go to another nation for its own defense, right? Tell me, I might be wrong, tell me if he, if he ever did. Did he go to, as an Ummah, after he established what was the state of, for the Muslims in Medina, did he ever go to an external nation for the security of its inhabitants? No. No. So, so when I think about that, you know, I look at it as an internal issue. If I have a problem within my family, then I'll tell my children, my uncles, come, help. You know, this is what we need to do, right? I, I wouldn't go to someone else. It's, someone else will only be looking for their interest. What's in it for me? Right? Why would someone else act on your behalf if you think about it this simply? You know, because he's got something to gain. When he's got something to gain, you've got something to lose right or to 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 give up give you know to surrender because mm-hmm. any deal is about giving and surrendering like, like taking and surrendering that's compromise so for the muslims the fact that land is occupied there are solutions being proposed that invite others to take a stake this doesn't sound right you know in its basic sense we we have the ability we have the manpower we have brilliant minds, you know, we need to to form the basis of unity upon Islam. Our ulama, we, we as an ummah, you know, we've been so used to just going into the masjids and going in as zombies and coming out as zombies, not really, you know, they're not the the institutes of change, merchants of change, you know, the ulema, uh, if you look at the examples of the times of Salahuddin, Ayyubi Rahimahumullah. you know, how did he manage to gather the ranks in order to, to liberate Palestine and bring justice with it? You know, not enough people know about what he actually did. You know, people don't know about the fact that when the Crusaders conquered it, they killed every Muslim in heaven. You know and when Salahuddin Ayub became. When Salahuddin Ayyubi came, he liberated it, spearing people. This is the mercy of Islam, not the mercy of Salahuddin Ayyubi. Mm. This is the mercy of Islam. Islam is, you know, there's been a, there's a ratchet job of defaming and demonizing Islam that isn't new in Europe and in the West. But Islam is not about slaughtering and killing people. It's about guiding people and, and making them bring attention to what the truth you know the inherent truth about this life, and the the hereafter. So you know these political issues can always be direct, directly linked to these fundamental matters about truth, or justice, uh, and and you know, for for people whether Jew or non-Jew, you know our interest. We will be go against our religion if we are, uh, you know, uh, uh, being unjust to whoever it is, whether it's a Jew or a non-Jew, a Christian, mm-hmm. or a Hindu, whoever it may be, we we have standards that we have to abide by. You know, the same standards which demands for the liberation of Palestine. You know, is as the Americans would say, it's in their interest to defend Israel, or they would use this term, right? Interests. Always. Jo- Joe Biden said once that if Israel as a state didn't exist, it would being it it would have to create one right and he said is the the in terms of the funds that are provided to the zionist entity it's the best three billion that they spend right when when he when he gives it to that similarly i would say as a muslim it's not our interest to relinquish the land of palestine right that my interests are determined by islam his interest is determined by something else right it's, it's we're not talking about you know a merciless entity that is just looking to shed blood and bring about the apocalypse as you know you have some fundamentalist christians who believe that they have to advance that scenario for the second coming of Islam, right and this brings about their unequivocal support to to the state of Israel, because yeah. that yeah. lends itself to that. Now, all of this to a secular person will seem outrageous and yeah. and, and you know, fairy, tale. fairy, fairy yeah. tale, silly stuff. Mm. But I'm sure you know anyone would agree with justice with with the other justice is a universal thing. And when you deconstruct the proposals that, and you really go into it and you see what history has laid bare and exposed the hypocrisy of those people who who considered themselves the leaders of the world free world then you can't say that justice has been given you know you can't say that and and so it's not in our interest to submit ourselves to a inferior you know leadership Mm -hmm. i have every confidence in, in islam as a deen that provides solutions to the problems that we face we see in the examples of muhammad and how he faced the challenges of munafiqeen and others within the muslims who cause trouble and strife mm. you know are they irrelevant for the times today no is the sunnah of muhammad irrelevant um, no you know as he was the best example sent to mankind, and the standards he abided by, and, and the sources that he referenced for the solutions to the problems that he faced. Similarly, today, I can't. I, I am the dirt of the, the feet, you know, dirt of the pious predecessors. I, I wouldn't amount myself to that much even, right, to consider myself, but I can't say that I hold something better, this is the best thing, this Islam, this Islam that came, the solutions that he provides. You know, handing over decision making and authority to someone other than who believes in Allah SWT and conducts themselves to the highest standards is not something that I can accept. Yeah, so this situation today, you know, the Muslims must bring their house in order. And this is an effort that is already underway and it will continue. And what is beautiful about the reaction to this is a number of things Russell mentioned already. You see a new generation of people, kids, youth, who who, who, who the message of Al-Aqsa and occupation hasn't been lost. They're just as informed, if not better these days,
1: Alhamdulillah.
2: About those things, Alhamdulillah. They're Alhamdulillah. informed. And they, they don't have the same divisions amongst them based on nationalities and things, modern concepts that have been, you know, uh, ingrained in the, the generations before us. They, 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 they view themselves clearly as Muslims, you know, they intermarry within communities that are halal for them. Um, Their the, the yardstick has changed and, you know, inshallah, long may it continue, but that oh. battle isn't going to fade away and disappear. It's something that the, the Muslims continue to hold very dear and we need to play a part in continuing to educate uh, the Muslims about the sanctity of Al-Aqsa, the, 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 the generations who are coming about, you know, the strength that we have that the, the Mujahideen and those who are fighting in the resistance and protecting the Muslims with stones and rocks. This is the kind of honour given to people who stick by their principles. You know who, who Who Are You know Hold no fear Except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know Because if you Hold no fear Except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, It makes you just mm. You know If I fear you Then you can Condition me To do your bidding mm. Right However unjust If I fear you But if I fear Allah Then 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 and I, Then I fear The wrong actions That I perform mm. You know no. If I'm going to oppress you, I'm going to mm-hmm. be fearful of that. This is mm-hmm. why the Muslims believe and hold dear to what they do. Uh, Shala, that's my lasting thought. Sorry if it's a little bit incoherent.
0: No, but, no, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good to get your thoughts, bro, uh, for both of you, really. I mean, the only things I'd, uh, I'd not add to that is just to reiterate is um, to, to everyone watching and listening to this podcast is the issue of internationalization. You'll hear about this on the news It may not be called internationalization But the concept is going to be the same And as Muslims we need to reject this We need to reject any notions of Having international forces in places like Gaza And like the brothers have said uh, in, in a beautiful way that you know, We shouldn't look at this purely from an emotional point of view We should look at, look at this from the lens of Islam And if we do that Then we can see that these are things which we won't accept And my last point really is to do with the ceasefire Is that, you know, uh, there may be a ceasefire in place in Gaza Obviously in West Bank, we saw the next day they start attacking Muslims Okay, this might give some respite to the Muslims in, in, in Gaza, that's fine The fact that if the Muslims in Gaza are not being bombed Then that's good, Alhamdulillah, for us that's good That we're not losing any Muslim life But the point is, brothers and sisters What we have to understand is the people of Palestine, they cannot remove the occupation. So even though the the Al-Qasim Brigade, they gave a bloody nose to the, uh, to the, the Zionists, but the reality is, is they can only do their bit. And if there's a ceasefire there and they're not getting bombed, Alhamdulillah, that's brilliant. But that doesn't mean that we all now think that's great now, the issue's been settled there. No. What it means is that in history, it shows that the occupied were liberated from people from... Uh, An external entity I.e. Muslims from from outside And you know as Muslims We need to now take on The responsibility The people in Palestine They've been doing their bit For for decades now Whether it's Gaza Whether it's uh, in Al-Aqsa And Al-Quds They are the front line And the only way We can really back them up Is by doing what We need to be doing And not by just uh, Falling for the tricks And now thinking that Because they're not being bombed we don't have to think about them now. That's not something which uh, we, we need to be doing. And Alhamdulillah, like Nazid said as well, is you are seeing a lot of youth now taking more interest in this issue of al-Aqsa. But what we need to do though, we need to make sure that they're not taking interest in it from an activist point of view in the same way you have BLM and you have these rights and that rights, because you may see them out, out going to protest thinking, yeah, they're doing that, they're doing good. But if it's not Islamic activism, then next time there's a LGBT uh, minority protest or so that, they may even attend that. So we need to be wary of that. But those are just my points. Uh, and I uh, just want to give a big thank you, big jazakal khair to Brother Rash and to Brother Nazid for taking time out and uh, spending time with us on this podcast. And inshallah ta'ala, um, hopefully, you know, we'll have Brother Nazid back on soon as well. And uh, hopefully, we will try to continue uh, as rationals with these podcasts as regularly as we can. Um, but from me and from the brothers, a big jazakallah for anyone listening and watching this podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. And inshallah, share this with your family and friends if you find this content beneficial. Brothers, do you want to give salam to our audience? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As-salamu wa
2: rahmatullahi
1: Barakat.
0: and from me assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa